The sad thing is there's people here who haven't a clue what we're talking about. <laughs> you know that? But we had to have a golf swing. We're in our, our second sermon in our series, God is Closer Than You Think. I don't need that, right? I'm on. Okay. I used to be involved in an organization when I first became a Christian called Campus Crusade for Christ. Any of you ever hear of that before? Mm -hmm. oh, a few. Okay. Uh, the late Dr. Bill Bright was the founder of that organization, and he was the leader of it. And he used to tell a story of a famous oil field called Yates Pool. And he speaks this way. During the Depression, this field was a sheep ranch owned by a man named Yates. Mr. Yates wasn't able to make enough on his ranching operations to pay the principal and interest on the mortgage, so he was in danger of losing his ranch. With little money for clothes or food, his family, like many, many others at that time, had to live on a government subsidy. Day after day, as he grazed his sheep over those rolling West Texas hills, he was no doubt greatly troubled about how he was going to pay his bills. Then a crew from an oil company came, and they told him that there might be oil on his land, and they asked permission to drill a wildcat well, and he signed a lease contract with them. At 1,115 feet, they struck a huge oil reserve. The first well came in at 80,000 barrels a day. Many subsequent wells were more than twice as large. In fact, 30 years after the discovery, a government test on one of the wells showed that it still had the potential flow of 125,000 barrels of oil a day. And Mr. Yates owned it all. The day he purchased the land, he'd received the oil and mineral rights. Yet, he'd been living on relief. He was a multi-multi-millionaire living in poverty. The problem? He didn't know the oil was there, even though he owned it. And I think that many Christians today, though they have salvation through Jesus Christ, are still living in spiritual poverty because they haven't begun to live in the power of God's presence within them. It's as though we're living in the land of Christianity, but unaware that beneath the surface, in the depths of our souls, there are riches at our disposal that God has made available to us. Do you know one of the most amazing verses in the Bible? It's John 16, verse 7. It's when Jesus tells his disciples that instead of coming closer to them, he's going away from them. As he tries to prepare them for his departure, he says these words, I tell you the truth. Now remember, I think I mentioned this uh, in a previous sermon, anytime you hear the words, I tell you the truth, what follows is really, really important. So notice that when you read in your Bibles. If you see Jesus say, I tell you the truth, the next thing he's saying is really important. I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I'm going away. Now, 
Think about that for a minute. And the disciples shock at that statement. Imagine if you were in their place. Your life has been turned upside down by this guy. For three years, you've been captivated by his every word. You, you live to hear him teach. You've lived to watch him heal. You've lived to see him love others. You have left everything to follow him, convinced that he held the key to the future of the human race. You've bet the farm on it. And now he says he's going to leave. That's the end of your world. You sacrificed everything for him, and now you're going to lose him. But then Jesus has the audacity to add, and it's a good thing. Jesus is quite serious. And he gives a reason why it's a good thing, that he leaves and goes away. He says, because unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. Now think about that a moment. That's a huge statement. I mean, seriously, that is a huge, staggering statement. We just, sometimes it just goes off my bald head. But it's a huge statement. We often think, I'd give anything to live when Jesus did. To actually hear his voice, to see his face, to watch him perform miracles. But Jesus says, no, it's better to live in the era of the Spirit than it is to walk with me on earth. Jesus is saying that we're more fortunate, in essence, than his disciples were. You and I have an advantage over those who actually walked with him. Now, as weird as it may sound to us, if Jesus says it, it must be true. So doesn't it make sense that if we want to be close to God, we had better thoroughly know and lean on the person of the Holy Spirit? Shouldn't we be crystal clear on his identity and on his ministry? For Christ followers to miss this would be a spiritual disaster. In the Bible, the image Jesus uses of the Spirit in our life is a river. You've read that in, in places about the river. He, he uses that analogy a lot. John 7, 37-39 says, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and in a loud voice said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Did you notice verse 39? What this picture of the flowing water stand for? The Holy Spirit. This new kind of life is tied to the presence and work of the Holy Spirit. Our whole thing of Christianity is tied to the presence and work of the Holy Spirit. And he is in you. In you. The Bible uses the images of rivers and streams to depict spiritual reality 
There's a flow of God's presence and power that gives life. For example, Psalm 46 reads, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. In Jeremiah 17, the prophet writes, But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. If a river flows unobstructed, all kinds of good things will happen. It will nourish the trees. It provides a home for fish and plants. It gives drinking water to human beings. But if a river gets plugged up, it's dammed or obstructed or blocked or gets polluted or whatever, there's death. If the water, the availability of the Spirit is blocked off in our lives, we will experience loss, even spiritual death. We see this again in the very last chapter of the Bible, in the book of Revelations, chapter 2. And I quote, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. From the opening scene of Genesis to the closing chapter of Revelation, God creates, He redeems, and then He recreates a world that is to be full of life. The life he creates and offers flows like the power and purity of a river. Jesus said that he came so that you would be filled with life. That if someone asked you how you were doing, you would say, I'm living the most complete, filled up, God-centered, peaceful, empowered life you could imagine. I wonder how many of us would answer that way today. Let's look exactly at what Jesus said in John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Over the years, I've, I've noticed something. I've been around a while, but I've, I've noticed this. In some churches, almost the only thing they say about Jesus is how he'll get you into heaven after you die. They don't elaborate much about life on this side of heaven. It's almost like a, a fatalistic foregone conclusion that we simply slog along down here until we finally die and all go to heaven. Yet when you read the Gospels, Jesus almost never talks about getting people into heaven. Jesus talks about getting people into life. 
Of course, that includes life beyond the grave, but it always starts here, now. Turn to any book in the New Testament, you'll see this picture of amazing life painted. 1 Peter 1.8 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Here's what I think happens. Many people hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. They are overwhelmed by this vision of hope. And they say, yes, I want Jesus in my life. And so for a time, there's kind of this honeymoon period. They're drawn towards the scriptures in a new way. They get excited and want to tell other people about Jesus Christ. They love to worship. And some things change in their life. Bad language gets cleaned up. Certain addictions may be overcome. They get involved in serving the church. Actually, serving Jesus in the church. Okay? But over time, this process of change seems somehow to stall. And instead of my life looking like the amazing picture printed in the New Testament, it looks like this. I yell at my kids. I worry too much about money. I worry too much about my job. I get jealous of people who are more successful than I am or more attractive than I am. I lie to get out of trouble. I pass judgment on people all the time. And so I'm stuck with this gap of what I'm supposed to be as a Christian and what I'm actually experiencing in my life. Have you ever been there? I have. But what if there's another way? What if Jesus was right? What if it is possible for you to come increasingly alive with love and joy and peace? And it's not by trying harder. It's not by trying harder. What if the Spirit of God is like a river flowing all the time in your life? What if your job isn't to try harder or to run faster or get up earlier to pray? What if God is at work all the time in every place that you are? What if your job is simply to jump in the river? Your job is to figure out from one moment to the next how do I just stay in the flow of God's Spirit in my life? How do I not let things close me off, obstruct me from the Spirit of God in my life? How do I keep myself aware of the Spirit and submitted to the Spirit so that those rivers of living water are running through me? How do I learn to flow with the Spirit? Let's take a look at John 16, verses 12 through 15. 
This is where Jesus teaches about some of the roles of the Holy Spirit in our life. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. The, fear, the Spirit is like a funnel through whom the blessings of God comes to us. The Christian life is designed and frankly must be lived in the flow of the Spirit of God. God's river. In that passage I read earlier from John 16, 7, the word Jesus used for counselor, referring to the Holy Spirit, is in the original language, parakletos. You may have heard that word before. It's an extremely rich word. It comes from two different Greek words, kaleo, which means to call, and para, which means alongside. And the picture is of someone called to come alongside another person and to stand by them. It could be translated comforter, helper, or advocate. It's a word which was used in Jesus' day in the legal arena. The parakletos was one who would serve the defendant, acting as a character was, uh, witness or some kind of a legal counsel. This word is found in a shorter letter of the Apostle John called 1 John, where he writes, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Parakletos. We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. With the Spirit of God as our counselor, we don't have to live in fear about the judgment of God. For Jesus stands next to us, in effect saying, on the basis of the cross, this one is mine. They're innocent. This one belongs to me. John 14, Jesus is talking about his disciples and he says, And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He says he'll send another Parakletos. Who was the first one? It was Jesus. And he tells his friends that he's not going to leave them as orphans when he leaves. They won't be alone and left on their own. In fact, he gives them this amazing promise about the Spirit. For he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit of God is inside you. 
each of you. He takes up residence in your life. I was going over my sermon this morning and the thought hit me. That is just... Wow. I mean, the Holy Spirit lives in me. And I thought, what a wonderful thought to sit down today in a chair and just think about. What does that mean for me and for my life that the Spirit of Almighty God lives in me? How does that change me? How does that make me different from everybody else in the world that doesn't have the Spirit in their life? That's an amazing thing. Think about your need for a good counselor in your life. Have you ever made a dumb decision? I haven't, but you can tell me about yours. <laughs> Do you ever worry about things, even though worrying... Uh, doesn't do you any good? Does anybody here have people problems in their life? Do some of you have a problem managing anger? Do some of you beat yourself up all the time for things that aren't your fault? Jesus says that he will send what Pastor Lloyd Ogilvie calls the greatest counselor in the world. Let me ask you, if you had the ideal counselor, whether a professional counselor or a trusted friend, wouldn't that be a great thing? For example, you would know that you're accepted. With the perfect counselor, you could say anything and they would always listen. They'd never turn away. They'd never reject you. They would never laugh at you. As you spend time with that counselor, Healing and change would begin to take place in your life. Your ideal counselor could diagnose you with great accuracy. You'd find yourself filled with insight and clarity, guided towards truth, and becoming more and more able to make decisions that yield far less negative consequences in your life and hopefully far more decisions that issue in a positive consequence, a benefit. With the ideal counselor, you wouldn't be stuck with the status quo, but empowered for change and better living. That's what counselors do, right? They don't want to keep you where you're at. They want to help you to move on and to grow and to develop. And wouldn't it be nice if you didn't have to pay for this counselor's time? They ain't cheap. Better yet, it would be nice if your counselor could just go with you wherever you go. All of this is what the Holy Spirit does. We all need to say to the Spirit, I want you to be my counselor. I'm tired of trying to solve my problems myself. I'm tired of carrying around 
all these anxieties that drain the life out of me. The greatest counselor in the world helps us grow. One of the ways people grow in knowledge and insight into the Bible is through the work of the Holy Spirit within them. That's why when someone becomes a Christ follower, the truths of the Bible uh, become more clear to them because there's now a partnership going on with the Holy Spirit's presence, explaining and understanding what the Scripture is saying. Listen to what the Apostle John writes about this in 1 John 2. But you have an anointing from the Holy Spirit, and all of you know the truth. And a little later. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. There goes my job. <laughs> but John is encouraging the Christians to whom he was writing, and, and us today, by saying, you all have the Holy Spirit. You as much as anybody are in direct contact with the Spirit of God. There's oil down there, folks. We just have to hit it and get in with it. Another role with the Holy, that the Holy Spirit plays is that of guiding us. Now, I talked about guiding last week, so... Today, I just want to give you a couple examples of how the Spirit guided me in my life. This is the time to take a nap. <laughs> when I was a teenager, I was attending community college to prepare for my dream job, which was being a data systems analyst. I don't even know if they have them anymore. Right at the beginning of the computer age. Ooh. <laughs> All right. Well, I did my first year. And did really, really well. But early in my second year, I was having some discontent about this whole thing. Uh, and feeling that maybe God didn't want me to be a systems analyst. I had become a Christian uh, towards the end of my first year of college. And I had some discontent about the pathway I had chosen for myself. And so one night, I just prayed really hard and said that being a systems analyst was the only thing I really ever wanted to do. But if God didn't want me to do that, I would obey him. But he had to tell me in a way that I couldn't explain it away, because I know me. And if there was any way for me to explain that guidance away, I'd find it. Next morning, got up, went out to get the mail, the family, there was a letter from college. That stranger wasn't expecting anything. So I stood at the mailbox. It's just like I did this yesterday. I can remember it so clearly. And I opened the letter and I started to read. Due to lack of enrollment, your major, data systems analysis, has been canceled in our college. This is pretty much how I reacted at the time when I read that. Like, Wow, I can't explain this away. And I just told him I'd obey him. Next day I went to college and dropped out. Next day. All of my professors were saying, what are you doing? You're an A-B student here. Why are you dropping out? God told me to. 
Well, you know how well that went over in American University, but anyway. It was interesting. I, he didn't tell me what to do. He just told me, not this. I worked as a dishwasher for a while. And then I worked in a factory as a material handler, driving a forklift, unloading trucks and stuff. And with that particular job, trucks had come in late, and they'd always ask me to stay late, and I kept saying, I'll, I'll be happy to stay late, except not on a Wednesday, because Wednesday was church. Wednesday was the youth ministries. I was highly involved in that. And on Wednesday, my boss came to me and said, uh, we have some trucks. I, I need you to stay till 5. And I said, uh-uh. I've got church tonight. Pete was not a Christian. Pete didn't understand that frame of reference. Uh, and, and after he finally figured out that I really wasn't going to stay, he walked away roughly and, and said to me, you should have been a minister instead of a material handler. And I sat there on the forklift, and the Spirit of God used this pagan guy's word to send me in another direction. And I enrolled in Bible college. Many years later, when I was executive director at Manitoba Ministries, which was my denomination's camp conference center over in Illinois, I was having that same sense of dissatisfaction. I'd been there 10 years. We made a lot of progress. The place was a mess when I got there, and I'm the guy that makes the tough decisions that nobody likes that you have to make, but you have to make them. Uh, and the place was doing well. We were finally operating at a profit, which hadn't happened in decades. Uh, we, had, we were able to quit going back to the churches and saying, please send us money, please send us money. We need money to work because we were generating the money that we needed to operate the ministry's things that lost money. But I was having this feeling again, this feeling of discontent. And I, I was really discontented because what I was hearing was, I want you to become an ordained minister. Now folks, I never, ever, 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 not even a smidgen wanted to be an ordained minister. I had spent my life in the church as a lay person just like you. I was totally committed to the lay ministry in the church, that that's where the power of God works through, through the people in the pews and not the person standing up here. I had written about it. I had done training manuals for my denomination about it. I was all about lay ministry, and now I'm getting kind of a movement to become one of them. I ended up talking to one of my board members about it, Bill. He, I trusted Bill. And he listened and, and asked me some questions. But then he brought me up short with the comment. Well, John, I see you're digging your heels in on this. But how do you know you're not fighting against God? That wasn't pleasant to hear. 
but it was absolutely correct. That's exactly what I was doing. I had my mind made up. I wasn't ever going to be one of them for a whole variety of reasons. <laughs> and God says, hey, watch this. <laughs> kind of like that. And I'm off on a new pathway in my life. So the Spirit gives us insight into His truth. The Spirit also gives us guidance in our lives. The Spirit gives us wisdom. Listen to the promise from the Bible in the book of James. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. God gives us wisdom that we need through his Spirit. Usually, we'll approach some someone like I did with Bill and say, I have a problem. And then we'll proceed to lay that all out and finish by saying, I'd really like to know what you think about this, what you think I should do. And the Bible is very clear that it's a good idea to seek counsel from wise people in your life. But wouldn't it make sense to first go to the great counselor? The Holy Spirit? Here's what we should do. This week, when you face a situation that needs wisdom, insight, guidance, whether it's a significant decision that you need to make, a tough parenting situation, a relational challenge in your life, a dilemma at work, or I've got too much to do, I can't get it all done, a need for time management in your, in your life. First, stop and be still, even at work. Just take a moment to quiet your heart and to ask the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom and insight. And then listen. That's the part we usually don't get right. We throw our requests out there and we keep churning the responses back in our mind. Well, I can do this, I can do this. No. Be still. And just listen. Sometimes the Spirit will bring Scripture into your mind. You, maybe you'll have insight, sometimes a nudge to make the right choices. Or sometimes you get hit with a baseball bat. Hey, your major's been canceled. You know? But we have to listen. We have to listen. If you want to go with the flow of the Spirit, we have to listen. When we partner with the Spirit through the course of each day, each day, a greater dependence upon Him starts to build within us. We become more and more sensitized to His presence in our life. It's as though He is flowing through us with the freshness of a mountain river. No longer we'll be seeking to close the gap by trying harder or by pretending that we're there when we know we're not. But we'll discover from within the rivers of living water that are flowing and the fullness of life that Jesus promised will be ours because God is closer than you think. Let's pray. Father, 
so many of us are these people that we think we got to figure everything out ourselves, that we think we got to do it ourselves, and we try harder and harder, and if, if it doesn't happen, then we, we say, well, it's, we just got to try harder than that, and, and it goes on and on to a vicious circle, and, and living the Christian life becomes a drain rather than a joy. Father, you never intended it to be a a drain. You've always intended us to have life, abundant life, life to its fullest. So I ask on behalf of all of us, may this week we start dipping our toes into the flow of the river of the Spirit in our life. And may we seek to understand it to hear it, and finally to jump in the river and let, us, let it take us wherever your spirit wants us to go. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.